We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, if you'll open your Bibles there. Philippians chapter 4. We're continuing this morning in a series that we started last week. It's entitled Reliance Values. And we are looking at the eight values that shape and inform everything that we do here at Reliance Church. As I told you last week, and if you missed it, I'll remind you now, values are critically important to every organization because what we value shapes what we do, and what we do establishes our culture. And we see this truth reflected in every culture in our society, whether it be the culture of your family or the culture of your business or the culture of your local church. Hey, listen, in every culture, here's the truth, healthy cultures never happen by accident. Healthy cultures never happen by by accident because culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. And what you create and allow is shaped by what you value. It's that simple. And with that in mind, without question, the most important organization in this world is the local church. Uh, The church is supposed to be a place where we live out our values of the, the values of our faith. Uh, in authentic community. That's what church is supposed to be about. In other words, it's where our culture reflects what we say that we value. And, and notice I emphasize you know, what we v- say we value, that, that uh, we're, church is supposed to be the kind of place where we're living out our values. And that doesn't just magically happen. It takes diligent focus. James Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, he says this. He says, the body of Christ is that unique community of practice whose members own up to the fact that we don't always value what we say we value. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners with a sin nature that's drawn away and prone to drifting. And Smith goes on to say, in essence, that what makes healthy church is unique, is that we work hard to institute practices that shape our spiritual formation. In other words, we establish a culture intentionally by what we create and what we allow. And that is always informed and anchored in the things that we value. And so with that in mind, here at Reliance, we put a great deal of thought and prayer into What are our values here? And we've come up with eight values that we uh, anchor everything that we do here as as a church. These eight values inform everything that we do. Last year, or last week, we looked at our first and foremost value, the, the value of the Word of God. And today, we focus on our next value. At Reliance Church, we value prayer. We work like everything depends on us, but we pray like everything depends on God. Because it does. Now, what exactly is prayer? Well, the most widely understood definition of prayer, the most simple understood definition of prayer, the most basic understanding is that it's communicating with God. That we bring our concerns and requests to God and then we listen for his response. Now, the second part might not be as universally understood as the first part. Everybody understands the asking part. Not everybody understands the waiting on God for his response part. But really, this communication with God is the basic understanding of prayer, and most everybody gets that. Last week, my granddaughter, Auburn Bloom, uh, she 
was very upset that she could not text God. She wanted to borrow her mom's phone so she could text God. And, and she's very upset she couldn't do it. And her mom's trying to explain to her, but eventually what happened was she's enrolled in our Awana program, and at Awana, they were teaching her about prayer. And she came home, and she said to her mom, oh, I get it now. I can't text God, but I can pray to God. Yes, baby girl, yes, you can. You can pray to God. Truly, the greatest privilege that a Christian has is this privilege of prayer. Prayer is not just a privilege, it's also the responsibility of every believer. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 that men should always pray and not lose heart. Why? Because when we pray, listen, we admit our need for God and our total dependence upon Him. In other words, listen, prayer's not a pinata. You know, God's not this celestial piñata, and prayer is not the stick with which we beat the piñata until all the goodies come pouring out. That's not this idea of prayer. No, this idea of prayer is that when we pray, it's not intended to be a means to get from God what we want, but listen, rather, prayer is a means by which we enable God to give us what He wants. Now, There's a word I just said in that sentence that should stand out to you. When I say that prayer is a means by which we enable God to give us what he wants, you say, how do we sinful men possibly enable a sovereign God? Listen, it all comes down to one word. It comes down to the word surrender. It comes down to the word surrender. Genesis 1.26 tells us that God, when he created man, that he created him in his image. And that means a lot of things. But one of the things that that means is that God has created man in the capacity of having a sovereign will. Just as God himself has a sovereign will, God has given to you a sovereign will. You can choose to receive God. You can choose to reject God. You can choose to, to govern your own heart Or you can choose to submit your heart to the Lord. And what prayer does, prayer yields your sovereign will and it invites God to in fact be sovereign in your life. Billy Graham said this, he said, prayer is the rope that pulls God and man together, but it doesn't pull God down to us, rather it pulls us up to him. Now listen, that's critically important because our lives are filled with pressures and anxieties, are they not? There are things that we deal with, and these anxieties, they come upon us, and they often tempt us to carry burdens that God has never allowed us or never desired that we should carry. We carry burdens so often that what God wants us to do is to surrender to Him, to surrender to Him in His sovereign will. Which brings us to our text today here in Philippians chapter 4 and we read in verses 6 and verse 7 be anxious for nothing but in everything Paul says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Christ 
Jesus. Now let me just give the caveat up front, the fine print warning about the message here today. When we tackle a message such as prayer, there is no way that I'm going to do the topic of prayer justice in, in one sitting. For us to sit down and go through one 40-minute message or however long it will be today, there, there is no chance that I'm going to cover every aspect of prayer. That's my caveat here. So what we're doing here is we're looking at this, this issue of anxiety, and we're, we're talking about prayer coming from, at it from that facet, from that example, the, the, the idea of the burdens with which we carry. <clears throat> and so Paul here, his exhortation to the Philippians is not to be anxious, right, but rather to pray, to bring their concerns to God. The big idea of this book, this entire book of Philippians, which really it's a letter, it's an epistle, it's a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. And the big idea is unity and peace and joy in the family of God. That's what this book is all about. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians when he was in prison in Rome. He was facing the death penalty, and the church in Philippi found out about his state, and they sent this guy named Epaphroditus to go to Paul to bring him some money and some encouragement. You see, back in that day and age when you were in prison, somebody had to pay for your care pay for your food, and, and so on. And so they, having compassion on Paul for his circumstances, they send money to him to help, you know, provide for his needs, literally provide for his food and so on. Now, apparently, when Epaphroditus came, you know, in addition to bringing the, the, the financial support and the moral support, just in the course and the context of their discussion, he shared with Paul some of the problems that were going on in the church in Philippi. Listen, no church is perfect. Every church has their issues. Every church has problems. Every church has relational rubs, you know. And this was what was going on there. Apparently, in particular, there were two gals that were sort of fighting and quarreling. But, you know, there's just some infighting going on at the church. And so Paul takes the opportunity to send this letter of thanks back to the church of Philippi. And in the process, he's reminding them of the joy and the unity that they have in Jesus Christ. And so in the first three chapters, Paul talks about the philosophy of Christian living and the pattern for Christian living and the prize in Christian living. And then here in chapter 4, he, he proceeds to talk about the process of Christian living. And what he says essentially is, look, that the life of the Christian, listen, it's a process of laboring in unity and in joy. And that, he says, takes prayer. For us to labor in unity and in joy, it takes prayer. And notice here how Paul begins his exhortation to prayer. What's he say there in verse 6? He says, be anxious for nothing. Paul begins putting his finger on the pulse of that thing which is so universally understood by every last one of us, right? This idea of anxiety. The word he uses, anxious, it's uh, marinao in the Greek, and the idea is to have a distracting care. Who here has ever had a distracting care, right? Something just nags at you. We've all experienced, right, a, a financial burden that keeps us up at night, that distracts us, or a, a troubled relationship that, that fills us with constant worry and distraction. Maybe it's a, a medical issue that, that hijacks our thoughts with constant worry. 
just this last Friday night, just a couple of days ago, Linfield was having their football game. It was an away game. And uh, Alex Ruiz, who's the son of my secretary, Shirley, playing quarterback, QB1 for Linfield High School. And he takes a snap, and it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a play where he can either hand it off or he can carry the ball himself. He carries the ball himself. And as Alex goes through the middle, he's hit on both sides. And the area of his leg above his knee went this way, and the area of his leg below his knee went that way. Shirley said when he raised his, his leg up, that it was bending just in the, the worst kind of, kind of contortion. And the initial text that we all received was, pray for Alex, he just broke his leg. She sent the text out immediately. It was a blast text to all of us pastors. And of course, we're all praying fervently for him. Well, the news gets just profoundly worse because what happened was it, he hadn't broken his leg, he dislocated his knee, but in the process, he ruptured his popliteal artery in his leg, which provides all the circulation for your lower leg. And for seven hours, his lower leg was without perforation of oxygenated blood. And this type of injury is I, I, cannot under, I cannot understate how severe this kind of an injury is. Overwhelming anxiety. A, you want to talk about a distracting care for mom and dad. As they're at one moment watching their son in the football field, and hours later, they're awaiting their son who's in surgery. These distracting cares, they make us anxious, right? And you all have your own distracting cares that make you anxious. It's been said anxiety is anticipating the future in the worst possible scenario and then freaking out about it. And ain't nobody got the corner on that market, I'll just tell you. Now, the fact is anxiety is a huge problem in the United States, Listen to these statistics. According to, the, to a study that was published by the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry entitled The Economic Burden of Anxiety Disorders, here's what they found. They said anxiety disorders are the most common medical or uh, mental health illness in the United States, affecting over 40 million people. Close to 20% of the adult U.S. population over the age of 18, that's one in five, suffers from clinical anxiety. People with anxiety are five times more likely to go to the doctor. They're six times more likely to be hospitalized. And the related cost of this is in excess of $42 billion, with a B, billion dollars a year. And that's just the direct medical cost. That doesn't account for the, lost, the loss of you know, uh, productivity and wage losses and things like that. It's just treatment costs. Overwhelming, the numbers are, are, are crazy, one in five, which, which if that statistic extrapolates into the church, that means one in five of you are clinically, clinically uh, suffering with anxiety. Now, what causes anxiety? Again, according to the mental health community, there are six leading causes of anxiety. The first, they say, is a fractured support system. 
This could include a lack of family, uh, a lack of friends. It can be a breakdown of the family unit or a breakdown of your close friendship relationships. It could include isolation from your family and friends, either by choice or by circumstance. And so that's the first thing they say that causes anxiety. The second thing is financial trouble. We, we can all relate to having more month than money, you know, and so financial troubles is, is a cause of anxiety. Another cause of anxiety is a, a busy lifestyle that contradicts natural rhythms. Now, this is not the same as overwork, which is one of the other uh, six top causes of anxiety. Overwork, the average American overworks, works in excess of 50 hours a week, and that causes anxiety. But a busy lifestyle that contradicts natural rhythms, what, the idea there is that the sun goes down and you don't. That's the idea. So, so one is too much work, the other is too much play. Both of them are among the top six causes of anxiety. Another cause of anxiety, listen, is constant noise, the constant noise and interruption of technology. That smartphone that is glued to your hand. Sixthly, the sixth cause of anxiety, top cause, at least in the United States, are events that induce fear and or a loss of hope. Well, good grief, which one of us can't relate? to this, right? We, we all can relate to this. All of us deal with anxiety on some level. And you know, if you listen to the experts, here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, here's what you do to deal with your anxiety. Behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy, antidepressants, tranquilizers, exercise, or a host of alternative treatments, yoga, aromatherapy, Essential oils, you know I was going to get it in there. <laughs> Biofeedback, right? They say there's, there's all of these ways. These are all of the ways that are encouraged to deal with anxiety. Here's, here's the thought. Pray and read your Bible. Now look, I don't want to underestimate all of those other things. I'm not saying that all medications are bad. Some people, they need to be on medication. Some people, they need their essential oils. That's great. We... we <laughs> the Bible says that physical exercise profits a little. So, so all of these things are good, they're beneficial, but the, the Bible has a lot to say about this condition of anxiety. And here in the book of Philippians, Paul says, don't be anxious. Great, great thought, Paul. How? He tells us in particular three things. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer. Let your request be made known to God. By supplication, let your request be made known to God. By, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the promise, <clears throat> and the God of peace. All comfort, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so let's break that down. Prayer. He says, don't be anxious, but pray. Prayer, essentially, it's just talking to God, right? By the way, this is something Jesus did a lot, Okay, he talked to God a lot. The Bible tells us that Jesus prayed all night before he chose his disciples, that he prayed early in the morning before beginning his day, that he prayed for others, that he prayed with others. He taught his disciples by example and by exhortation to, to be persistent in prayer. In fact, he prayed so much that his disciples came to him 
And they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And here's what he said. I'll put it on the screen for you. Matthew 6, verses 2 through 4. So he, Jesus, in answer to their request, Lord, teach us to pray, he said to them, when you pray, not if you pray, by the way, the implication is that you will pray, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive Everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, let's leave that up there for a minute. Let's break this down. First, we begin by acknowledging who we are praying to. We are praying to our Father. Now, that's important because it tells us, what does it tell us? It tells us that all prayer is predicated on relationship. All prayer predicated on this intimate relationship. See, the Bible teaches us that prayer is the privilege of those who have become God's children. Listen to what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. But listen, what's he say next? He says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Now think about it. What is it that makes a person righteous? The Bible's very clear on this. Romans 3.23 tells us that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true, Paul tells the Romans, for everyone who believes no matter who we are, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, For there is one, there's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. So the idea that the psalmist is conveying here in, in Psalm 34, he's saying, Listen, if you are God's child, his ear is open to your cry as you cry to him in prayer. But if you reject the Lord, not only isn't his ear open to your prayers, but his face is actually set against you. Now, Satan will have a field day on that. And he's not talking about if you, you know, sin against God as a child of God. No, God's, God's ear remains open to you as his child of God, even in your sins. Now, sometimes we're, we're hardened and we're in an attitude of sin and, you know, God is not going to speak anything new to us. He's given to us our direction, and we need to reorient to Him. But listen, the, applica the, the implication here is that if we reject God, if we are not saved, if we are not born again trusting in Christ, well, listen, He's not going to hear your prayer. His face is actually set against you. Now, having said that, there is one prayer of the unbeliever that God will hear. And this is the prayer of surrender. And maybe today you are outside of a saving faith in, in God, in Jesus Christ, and I would tell you that, listen, if you cry out to him, if you surrender your life to him, he will hear that prayer. He will come in to your life to save you. The thief on the, on the cross, great example of this. He said, Lord, remember this day when you come into your kingdom. Another great example is the Roman centurion, a guy who prayed faithfully, making an honest seeking of God. And God, what's he do? He goes and he tunes Peter up and says, 
this dude is seeking me. I want you to go to him and bring him the gospel. Why? Because it was a prayer. There was a prayer of surrender that was seeking for the Lord to be Savior and Lord. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'm never going to drive them away. And so we begin our, our prayer, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, by acknowledging who we're praying to. He's our Father. He's our Father, Jesus says, in heaven. Now that's our second clue about this idea when we pray. Listen, here's the idea. The idea <coughs> is that we are praying not just to our Father who we're in relationship with, but we are praying to the one who rules over us in sovereign authority. He is our Father in heaven. Sovereign authority. The writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 said, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The idea is you choose your words really carefully. Don't just go off on the mouth just saying whatever. Hey, he's sovereign. He's Lord. You choose very carefully what we say to God. The idea is that God rules and everything that he does is right, which is why Jesus continues, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying, listen, he's saying that the attitude of our prayer needs not to be my will be done, God but it needs to be your will be done. Jesus modeled this to us, for us, in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he's stressing out about going to the cross. He knows what it's going to entail. The Bible account is that he is sweating great drops of blood. I mean, literally sweating blood, the capillaries rupturing for the stress that he's carrying. And he says to God, look, if there's any other way for this whole thing to go down, then, then let's do that. But then he finishes, he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my will, your will. I told you about Mike and Shirley and what's going on with Alex. And yesterday, we're down there, we're in the hospital. And Alex is in the middle of surgery. They told his mom and dad it was going to be a four-hour surgery. And it turned into a 13-hour surgery. And in the middle of that time, with his future very uncertain, praying together. And we're talking like major serious stuff here. Praying together with, with Shirley and Alec, or with Shirley and, and Mike. And Shirley prays this prayer to God. She's begging for her son, but she said, and she pauses before she says it. She swallowed hard. She thought about what she was praying, and she said, Lord, he belongs to you. And I surrender him to you, what, whatever. Now, she's praying this as her son is in prayer. The surgeon said, it'll be four hours. It's 13 hours at this point. No word. We don't know what's going on. It's over three times longer than they said it was going to be. Something's going down. What on earth is it? And she prays, God, not my will be done. Your will be done. 
a sovereign surrender. God, I don't know what you've got planned, and you know the desire of my heart for my son. But I give him over to you. I let go of him right now. Turn him over to you. And listen, it's only after we establish and reaffirm that. God, you're sovereign. I'm not. My life belongs to you, and I'm coming to you with prayer, and it's only after I establish, God, this is me coming up to you in heaven, not you pulling you down here to be my celestial genie to grant me my three wishes. No, God, you're sovereign. I belong to you. My life is yours. Your will prevails. You are sovereign, and it is only then that we get to the area of supplication. And God have mercy on us, right? Supplication, what is it? That's when we ask. Give us this day our daily bread. And God have mercy on us because truly, isn't that where our prayers so often start? Lord, here's my laundry list, and it'd be great if I could get it by noon. Okay, I'm kind of in a hurry here, God. Supplication, give us this day. Jesus told a a parable, this idea of supplication, In Luke's gospel, he said this. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I've got nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, Jesus says, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and he'll give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus employs here what's known as, as kind of a juxtaposition. What he's doing is he's, he's placing two examples side by side for comparison. And so what do we have? We've got God on the one side of the, the comparison equation, and we've got a sinful man who's on the other side of the, the, the comparison here, right? And what Jesus is saying is, look, if a sinful man is going to be moved by, by persistence, how much more do you think a holy God is going to be moved by persistence? And it's not that God is, is your attitude towards you is don't bother me, and then finally it's like, fine, fine, whatever you want. No, that's that juxtaposition. Jesus is saying, that's an evil man who's moved that way. But your persistence is going to uh, be, it's required. It's encouraged in your seeking the Lord. Now, in Jesus' parable, listen, understand, it's not that God wants us to beg. That's not what he's saying here. It's that he wants us to come to him. He wants us to experience his faithfulness. He wants us to see his goodness in a tangible way. He wants us, listen, to grow in our faith as we persistently prevail upon him. Maybe you keep a prayer journal. It is an amazing faith builder as you prevail in prayer to then go back months, 
weeks sometimes, but months later, years later, and you read through the things that you have prayed about, that you have prevailed in. These are the things where God reveals himself. He shows you this, this substantive, substantive thing of our faith to where it's, wow, I stressed about that. I prayed about that. I knocked. I sought God for that. And now I can see with the benefit of hindsight how God answered that prayer. Let me ask you a question. Are you persistent in your prayers? Are you persistent in your prayers? E.M. Bounds in his book, Power Through Prayer, he said the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. Now, I want you to think about all the methods that we employ to engineer a solution to our problems, all the sleep that we lose as we worry, all the stress that we carry. Peter in 1 Peter 5 says, hey, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God told Israel, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And listen, the same is true for us. Again, Ian Bounds, Power Through Prayer, he says, the person who prays puts God into the work. God does not come into our work as a matter of course or principle, but he comes in by prayer and urgency. Let me, give you, let me ask you a question. How urgent are you in your prayers? How urgently are you praying? It's been said the little regard we give prayer is evident from the little time we spend in it. That one hurts. So Paul tells the Philippians here, listen, in everything by prayer, let your request be made known to God. And he says, and in supplication, we're to let our requests be made known to God. And then he adds, with thanksgiving, that we're to let our requests be made known to God. Don't miss that last part. With thanksgiving. Listen, the idea here is that as you pray, you need to remember the times that God has been faithful to you. It is a critical part of our ongoing prayer relationship with God. And the thing that helps us to start with this surrender to his sovereign will, it has to do with this attitude of thankfulness. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I could try today to describe to you what abalone tastes like. Chances are not all of you have eaten abalone. I will just tell you it's heaven on earth. It's the most brilliant. There's a reason it's $150 a pound, okay? My dad used to go diving in La Jolla. We grew up, you know, there as a kid. My dad would come home and and he'd bring home tons of abalone. And and we would just eat abalone all the time. used to throw temper tantrums as a kid. Abalone again? My mom, having a, a rich relative coming to visit, asked my dad to go out and get, you know, a roast or something that she could make them a good meal. He says, oh, honey, I'm just going to go. Now, they're poor, dirt poor at this point in their, their marriage relationship. And, and, uh, and he says, I'll just go diving and get, you know, some abs and some lobster. She's crying, saying, we're going to feed them that common food, you know. It was common to them. I could try to describe to you what abalone tastes like, but you got to take it in. you got to chew it up. you gotta, you got to know 
from experience that it is the most incredible food that's ever existed on the face of the earth. You, you have to experience that. And so he says, look, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to pray. You're anxious about it. Look, you've got to pray, and you have to pray with thanksgiving. With, with, the, with the, that that you've experienced before, God's faithfulness in times past, how faithful he's been to you. You need to remember that. I think of David facing Goliath. David, you can't do this. You've got this giant that's in front of you. He's going to rip you up. David says this, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Thankfulness, remembering how God has been faithful in the past. So in summary, why do we pray? Listen, we pray. And by the way, as I throw these, I'm going to rattle through them. I'm not going to go through the scriptures. They're on our website. You can go, what do we believe? Click on prayer. It's all detailed there for you. You get all the scriptures listed out. Listen, we pray because God commands it. 2 Chronicles 7.14, Luke 18.1. We pray because through prayer we receive according to God's will. James 4.2. We pray to experience fullness of joy. John 16.24. We pray to find help in times of trouble. Psalm 34.17. We pray because prayer is the cure for worry. Philippians 4.6. 1 Peter 5, 7, we pray, listen, because prayer helps us to resist temptation. Matthew 26, 41. Why do we pray? We pray for these reasons and so many more. When are we to pray? Listen, Paul said to the Thessalonians in Thessalonians 5, 17, that we're to pray without ceasing. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it, never stop praying. Let me ask you, have you started? Because our exhortation is never stop praying. Well, I told you this is one of our values, and I want you to know here at Reliance Church, we pray. We pray every Sunday morning from 5.30 to 6 a.m. We pray. We gather together. We pray for what's going to happen here on Sunday. It's open. You're welcome to join us any Sunday you want. We pray from 5.30 to 6 in the morning on Sundays. Every Monday, our staff pray at our staff meeting from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Every time you fill out a prayer request card, our staff is praying over it weekly from 9 to 10 a.m. as well. We're praying over the the prayer texts that come in, whether they be an emergency prayer text or, hey, this this is just an ongoing prayer need for me. Our ladies pray every Tuesday at the women's prayer group from 9.30 to 10.30. Ladies, that's open to anybody who wants to come. In every midweek small group, we pray. The Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We encourage you to get plugged into a midweek small group where you can be taught the word and you can be growing together in a relationship with one another and where brothers and sisters can bear your burdens and you can and pray for one another. <clears throat> We pray before and after every counseling session, and during, I might add. I'm praying, God, give me wisdom. You show me what's going on. Why do we do this? Here's why. We work like everything depends on us, but we pray like everything depends on God, because it does. Today, as we close, I want to do a couple of points of application with you. First of all, you should have received a prayer challenge card. It's on the back of the, the, the values uh, handout that you got today. 
And we want to challenge you to pray for you and your family for the next seven days. There's some suggestions on there that we would encourage you today. Develop a habit of prayer and you can start with those things. We also want to encourage you on the Reliance app that we talked about to opt in to prayer notifications on the Reliance Church app. These are both emergency prayer notifications as well as non-emergency prayer needs. We need God's power to do what God's called us to do. And listen, we have this incredible privilege as his children to come boldly before the throne of grace. The God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who holds the molecules of our body together in his hand, stands ready to receive you at any moment, any day, any hour, any time. You have an incredible privilege. Avail yourself of that.